Hello, Saints. Todd here with SafeguardYourSoul.com. Thank you so much for tuning in. We are so blessed to have these moments together in the Word of God. And remember, Saints, there's nothing, there's nothing, no thing happening on God's planet that is even remotely as important as the work of the gospel and feeding the sheep of Jesus Christ for whom he died to save so that they can grow in grace, they can be edified, they can be equipped for the work of the ministry according to the scriptures. And let me just guarantee you this one thing, by the grace of God, this outreach will continue to unapologetically endeavor to preach the whole of the word of God, regardless of who gets offended or not in Jesus name. And please remember that your prayers and support are vital to this operation. Thank you. The hope of nations. Make no mistake that the Lord is the hope of the nations. Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh in vain. It is a vain thing to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he giveth his beloved sleep. Now, he's talking about foundations here. And except the Lord build the foundation of a nation, for example, those who labor in building it absolutely labor in vain. And then he goes into family and children, which is the building block of any people, any nation. Lo, children are an heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. As arrows in the hand of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. Happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them, they shall not be ashamed, but they shall speak with the enemies in the gate. Psalm chapter 127. Notice our central theme in this message, Psalm 149, I believe you see, we see this coming to pass right now in front of our very eyes. Notice, praise ye the Lord, sing unto the Lord a new song and his praise in the congregation of saints. Let Israel rejoice in him that may him. Israel refers to God's people. Let the children of Zion be joyful in their king. Let them praise his name in the dance. Let them sing praises unto him with the timbrel and harp. For the Lord taketh pleasure in his people. He will beautify the meek with salvation. Let the saints be joyful in glory. Let them sing aloud upon their beds. Let the high praises of God be in their mouth and the two-edged sword in their hand. And notice the high praises of God must always be in our mouths. Other places in Psalms, the psalmist said, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Perhaps someone listening has lost their joy and their praise for beholding the things that are coming upon the earth. Even your heart has failed with fear, perhaps. It has stooped and been depressed, as Jesus described in Luke 21, but God says, let the high praises of God be in their mouth and the two-edged sword in their hand. That is the word of God. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 speaks of the two-edged sword of the word of God. And this is what it says. This is a verse that you will want to memorize. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12 says, for the word of God is quick, that means alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the hearts. If you name the name of Christ, my friend, if anywhere you are, God has called you to be the salt and the light and to preach his word. Your own explanation of the things of God is no match for the word of God. The King James Bible, in particular for the English-speaking people of the earth, notice verse 7, the to execute vengeance. Now notice what is happening around us. Vengeance is being executed upon the heathen and justice is coming. Now before I proceed, let me just say this. I am not a kingdom now. We're taking over the earth. No, I, this is coming strictly from a historical biblical view such as in the days of Daniel and the three Hebrew children where God wrought a great victory as they sought his face and put him 
him first and stood boldly because the Bible says the righteous are bold as a lion. Also, in the days of the children of Israel in Egypt and how God brought judgment on the Egyptians and on Pharaoh until they had to let his children go with the ten plagues of Egypt that God brought upon them. Also, this is just a quick thumbnail sketch. How about the book of Esther, where Haman and his family and perhaps others built gallows, hanging gallows, to murder Mordecai and his niece who became the queen, the Jews, Mordecai and Esther and all the Jews. But God stopped it because his people prayed and they sought his face. There's nothing more powerful going on in the earth, my friends, than the prayers of the saints of God. History is littered with examples, both biblical and afterwards, examples of God's people praying, including in the founding and in many other stages beyond the founding of the nation of America. When God's people pray, he answers their prayer, especially in conjunction with Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then, he said, he will hear from heaven and will heal their land. This is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, beloved. He is the same yesterday, Jesus Christ, today and forever. And he reigns at the right hand of his father, book of Hebrews, and he ever liveth to make intercession for his saints. That includes those in this nation and in every nation of the earth. He ever liveth to provide what he died to purchase. And at the top of that list is power in heaven for his saints, where his blood and his name speaks in the highest authority at the right hand of the Father. Now, Scripture explicitly instructs the righteous in 1 Timothy chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, to pray for all that are in authority. And he's speaking of civil government. In fact, he mentions that there so that we may lead quiet and peaceable lives, making known the one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all. So this is the stated will of God for his people in any nation they find themselves in to pray for those in authority. And I personally pray with the conviction that those that are in authority who are set on doing evil will be exposed by the light of the truth of God and their darkness will be manifest and they will be swiftly brought to justice, just as in the days of Haman, the wicked one, who had a place of authority in the king's palace and tried to kill the righteous, but he was hung on the gallows that he actually created for the righteous. Now, do you want to see the tables flipped on the wicked? Go before the Lord in prayer, obey him and petition him to expose them and to cause his people to repent and to obey him like never before. For because judgment must begin at the house of God. That's what scripture says in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 17 and 18. Most importantly, and what God has in heart and in mind and in view is his own people. 1 Peter 4, 17 and 18. For the time is come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begin at us, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? And if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to him and well-doing as unto a faithful creator. Proverbs chapter 29, verse 2, when the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. Amen. When the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. Don't you know there's greater joy in those places that are under more righteous authority? I didn't say they were born again, spirit-filled believers. I didn't say that. But you don't have to be a born again, spiritual believer to be have, have been brought up correctly and know what's right and wrong. Now, ultimately, we hope they'll be saved if they aren't. Uh, Unless a person is ministering Jesus Christ and speaking his name, I don't believe they're saved at all. When the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. Let me ask you, in the place you live, do you have enough confidence in the leadership that when you lay your head down at night, you feel more of a comfort? That's not evil. We find our trust in the Lord, but I'm reading his word right here. When the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. They have reason to rejoice. But when the wicked beareth rule, the people rejoice 
mourn. You see the picture there? When the wicked bear rule, when they're wicked, that is, are in authority, the people mourn or weep. Our central text, as I begin to read, is Psalm chapter 149. Notice as we pick up halfway through the psalm in verse 5, it's only nine verses long. Notice this. Let the saints be joyful in glory. Let them sing aloud upon their beds. Now, this is ultimately speaking of the new Jerusalem. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. Don't you know, beloved, that your name, you're even going to be given a new name according to the book of Revelation, is waiting for you in glory. Did you know that? Did did you know that you're going to sing aloud upon the bed God has prepared for you? You know, the term comes to mind about people who make their bed in hell. Well, just as sure as that, there are people, and that would be only those who are born again and obeying Jesus Christ, living and worshiping him by faith faith that you know they're making their bed in heaven where there will be no more tears. There will be no more pain. There will be no more sin. There will be nothing negative ever because God is going to forever ultimately put away the arch enemy of himself and all of mankind, Satan, the devil, Revelation 21, 4, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. And there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying. They're going to take a permanent vacation, beloved. Neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said unto me, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life really. He that overcometh shall inherit all things. Jesus says you must endure to the end. His apostles taught over and over, you must continue. And Jesus is teaching this truth once again. You must abide, which means continue or remain in him, or you're going to be cast into hell. And anybody that's not telling you that part of the gospel is a, a wolf in sheep's clothing. Any and everyone teaching once saved, always saved, better known as eternal security, or the Calvinists call it perseverance of the saints, is an absolute diabolical operative. And Satan is using them to cause you not to endure to the end, not to fight the good fight of faith, not to fear, worship, and obey the Lord, no matter what happens. And this is why so many, their love for God and others is waxing cold, because iniquity is abounding, and they just give up, because after all, they're once saved, always saved, right, wrong, dead, wrong. Hell is full of millions who got saved, believed they were eternally secure no matter what, died and went irrevocably to the bowels of eternal damnation, otherwise called by Jesus, outer darkness and the furnace of fire. What do you do when you light a furnace? You're trying to heat the house or cook the food. That's like turning the uh, handle on your stove to pump gas upward or electricity to heat the element you're cooking in. What do you think it means when Jesus, the judge of the earth, said he that hell is a furnace of fire? And guess what? He said that fire shall never, never shall be quenched. Never shall be quenched. Mark chapter 9, verse 43 through 49. But read it in the King James Bibles because all of the other diabolical corruptions that pretend to be the word of God, these fake news versions of the Bible, remove that text or altered it depending on the perversion. It's no different than we see the enemy all over social media controlling it and removing the truth. And yet some people are so blinded claiming to be Christians and don't realize what's right under their nose and has been there from the beginning of history in the Garden of Eden where Satan cast out on the Word of God and he changed the Word of God, Genesis 2.17 and 3, 1-4. through 4. And they don't realize because they're not walking in the light, and they're not enlightened in their mind by the Holy Spirit and the Word of God, that Satan has never stopped changing the Word of God. And these people are going to argue until they're blue in the face to defend their little corrupt Bible. They don't want a man's Bible like the King James Bible, which will cut to the bone. That's what we just read in Hebrews 4.12. The Word of God is quick, it's alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing, piercing, even to the dividing asunder of soul 
soul and spirit, and of the joints and marrow, all the way to the bone, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The, the real Bible is the sword of the spirit. These little fake Bibles, which make sissy Christians out of so many, are like a butter knife, a plastic butter knife. It's time to repent and get a real Bible, because something in you, whether you're denying it or hearkening to it, tells you that what I'm telling you is truth. Not because I said it, or it's a preference, but because when you compare the versions, you see exactly where the hoof prints of Satan are in your new version if you're still defending it by now let me ask you to write down a few verses three of them then i'm going to ask you where are they what happened to them and your little version of the bible the only thing that needs more than one version is a lie we already had the right bible with the king james bible it was the seventh of english bibles just exactly in accordance and fulfillment of the prophecy of psalm 12 verse 6 and 7 that it would be purified seven times look up and compare in the king James to your quote-unquote Bible with a small b in the quotations. Matthew 17, 21. What happened to it? Where is it? Where did it go? Why is nobody talking about this? You got it? Matthew 17, 21. Also look at Romans 8, 1. Romans 8, verse 1. Why was it chopped in half? God said, if you add to or take away anything from his word, your name will be removed from the book of life, and you're going to suffer the vengeance of eternal fire in the lake of fire, Revelation 22, 18 and 19. One more verse to go look up, lest you think I'm a nutcase. It all stops the argument when you show people these three verses. Their jaws hit the ground. I've even had pastors trying to defend this garbage. Until we set the Bible side by side and they were dumbfounded and embarrassed and they ought to be completely embarrassed. These guys are pastors. They don't know this. Are you kidding me? Wolves in sheep's clothing, walking in darkness, no heart for the truth. They're not valiant for the truth. Jeremiah 9, 3. Here's the third of the three I want you to compare side by side to the King James Bible, and that would be Colossians 1, 14. Colossians 1, 14. Where did the blood go? Where is it? Again, why is no one talking about this? In eternal glory, there will be no more tears. They're going to all be wiped away by the Lord Jesus Christ from the righteous. There's going to be no more pain, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. There's a new day coming. The wicked have one in mind when God has another. And Haman and Mordecai and Esther are kind of a precursor to that. Haman had plans to conquer that domain, that Babylon, and to reign and to get rid of the righteous. And we all know of specific plans of the wicked with their bioweapons, their death jab vaccine that change your DNA. They're trying to, what they do, cull. They call cull or murder literally billions. How do you think that's going to happen? It's already happening with a great cover-up. Tens of thousands, at least, are already dead. See, and so they have this utopian society in mind that is going to serve them. And uh, just like Haman and his cohorts had, but God flipped the script. And why wouldn't he do it today? Because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Somebody might say, well, prophecy must come to pass. Well, I'm not going to argue with that, but we're going to leave that in the hands of the one who gave those prophecies. That would be the Almighty, and we should humble ourselves and ground ourselves in just doing the truth of God. We are in a war for the souls of men, beginning with our own, and we must fight the good fight of faith, and that fight is to begin on our knees, if you will, in prayer. And I I don't mean you have to pray in a physical posture. I'm just saying praying to God is the most powerful weapon that and the word of God upon the earth. And that's what you see here in Psalm 149. You see worship. You see people of God, the people of God singing a new song and praising God, letting his praise be continually in their mouth. Verse 5, when Psalm 149, I want you to share this psalm to everyone on your email list and under your influence. Let the saints be joyful 
faithful in glory. Amen. We're going home. Let oh, when the saints go marching in. Amen. That's the saints whose names are written in the book of life. Amen. Let the saints be joyful in glory. Let them sing aloud upon their beds. That's how good our sleep should be now and will be certainly forever when all evil, darkness, and sin will be vanquished. It will have our existence in the presence of God. But we can also apply this to now just as well, even though we're going to be with him soon and forever where this ultimately prophetically fits. Let the saints be joyful in glory. You know, I'm always concerned when I don't see the joy of the Lord, and which is our strength bubbling up out of me. I don't know about you, but I'm not always full of the joy of the Lord, perhaps, like should be. Jesus said, your joy no man taketh from you. And so I believe that's a great prayer. Lord, let me be full of your joy. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. Psalm 51, let them sing aloud. I don't know how many times the words sing and song are in these nine verses, but it's a whole lot of times. Verse six, let the high praises, here it is again, praising God. Amen. Do you have a new song in your heart? Psalm chapter 40 speaks about a new song in our hearts. Check this out. Psalm chapter 40. How many people love the book of Psalms? How many people are absolutely bananas about the book of Psalms? I'm one of them. I waited patiently, he wrote, for the Lord, and he inclined unto me and heard my cry. Amen. The scripture says, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth them out of them all, just like he did Daniel and the Hebrew children when they worshiped him. The children of Israel, he split the Red Sea and brought them through. Mordecai and his niece, who he took parental rights over when her parents perished. And she became the queen of that heathen nation, the most beautiful woman in the earth at that time. And that beauty was emanating from within. Favor is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman that feareth the Lord, she shall be praised. In the days of Esther and Mordecai, the righteous sought the Lord. They cried out to him in repentance, and he flipped the script as he loves to do, and is just waiting for his people to ask him to do, and to come into alignment in obedience with him. Second Chronicles 7, 14. He wants to heal this land, beloved. Oh, America's too far gone. I understand why you say that. I'm not blind to that, but I'm not going to stop praying. In fact, everybody around me is praying, crying out to God like never before. For we see the evil coming, just like Haman had concocted against the righteous and plotted against them to murder them and had built gallows to hang them in. And they prayed and sought the Lord, and he heard their voice and delivered them out of all their destructions and hung Haman and his wicked family on those gallows, the very ones they created to murder the righteous. Psalm 40, verse 2, he brought me up also out of an horrible pit, out of the miry clay and set my feet upon a rock and establish my goings. And he hath put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. Has God saved you and brought you out of the miry clay of sin or even backsliding or anything that you were snared in after being saved? Has he put a new song in your heart, but even praise unto our God where many will see it and fear and they will trust in the Lord. I'm telling you the greatest witness to the lost is the word of God and the spirit of God working in the humble saint whose light is shining all around him and through him and her to those around them so that they may see the good work of the father in their lives and say, I want that. That's why this wretched fool that is speaking right now is in the kingdom of Christ because God put people in front of me that loved him. They had a relationship with him, not religion. That's all I had growing up. Catholic, Catholic school, Catholic altar boy, nothing but demonic corruption and lies and drudgery and misery with no joy. What has the Catholic Church ever given anybody other than lies that kept them in their sin and incubated them, preserved them to go right off the cliff into hell when they die, believing that they were going to go to a place that doesn't even exist called purgatory. Verse 4, Psalm 40, blessed is that man that maketh the Lord his trust 
lost, and respecteth not the proud, nor such as turn aside to lies. Psalm 149, our main text, verse 6, let the high praises of God be in their mouth and the two-edged sword in their hand to do what? Notice this, watch this, to execute vengeance upon the heathen. Didn't we just pray that God would expose and bring the heathen, those that are unrepentant and working evil, to the light and to justice? To execute vengeance upon the heathen. Isn't that what happened to those that threw the three Hebrew children into the fire? Yes, it is. They were burned in the fire. Isn't that what happened to Pharaoh and the Egyptians when they enslaved God's people? Yes. Isn't that what happened to Haman and his family when they plotted to destroy the people of God? Vengeance was executed upon them when the righteous stood and praised, trusted, and worshiped the Lord Almighty, their God. And punishments came upon the people, it says here. When we see people crying out, for justice upon the evil. And they say, when is, I don't believe it when I see it. These people get away with everything. I'm not even here to go into all the detail. You guys know all about this. This isn't a political ministry, although we talk about it, but we talk about it in the context of the Word of God. And that's what's missing from a lot of political pundits, even the ones that claim to be Christians. And some of you are supporting them. I'm not saying you're sinning doing that, but you should be first and foremost supporting the preaching of the Word of God. It is the word of God that breaks the rocks and pieces and changes people and nations. The word of God itself is the divine hammer and when it's preached by his people, it's taught and preached by his people, then it breaks the hardness of the hearts of men, the stony rock hearts of men and brings them into Christ. Jesus didn't send us to win arguments. He sent us to win souls and that happens when we obey him by going into all the world and preaching the gospel. Mark chapter 16, verse 15. And I would encourage you not to support any ministry. Don't waste the seed of God that he's given you, 2 Corinthians 9, on anything but the pure gospel of Christ and the bold declaration of it. Everything else is a waste. It is a mere band-aid. It is a cheap substitute for the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, who came into the world to save sinners. Speaking of the last, the final days in which we now live in Matthew 24, 14, Jesus said, this gospel of the kingdom shall be what? Preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. And this is the hour we now find ourselves in, Luke 24, 47, and that repentance and remission of sins should be what? Preached in his name, the name of Christ, among all nations or all people. Paul said, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel, 1 Corinthians 9, 6. 16, Paul also said, preach the word, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2. Are you supporting something that's preaching anything else but the gospel, my friend? Teaching and preaching the word of God was the main gospel work of Christ and his apostles, because faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. It's through the preaching of the word of God that God brings men to repentance and unto himself through Christ. Jeremiah, let me remind you of Jeremiah chapter 23. And let's see, here it is. Verse 29, is not my word like as a fire, saith the Lord, and like a hammer that breaketh the rock in pieces. Therefore, behold, I am against the the false, he's talking about the false prophet. I'm against the prophet, saith the Lord. That's what the whole chapter is about, false leaders that steal my words, every one from his neighbor. They borrow them from their neighbor instead of speaking the word of God themselves out of a relationship with him. But verse 29, the word of God is like a hammer that breaketh the rock in pieces. Okay, we can talk about the evils of the heathen all day long. Nothing happens until we apply, we preach, we speak, and we obey the word of God. It is God's people throughout history, Old and New Testament, who prayed and cried out to God, and he wrought miracles in their midst. The whole book of Acts 
which is the history of the earliest followers of Christ, is littered with good litter, amen, with examples of this. What about Paul and Silas in jail at midnight, singing praise as we're reading here in Psalm 149? Don't you know that the high praises of God were in their mouth? They were singing praise and giving thanks to the Lord, and the two-edged sword of the Word of God was in their hands. And God, and through the music, if nothing else, through the singing, We sing psalms. We sing scripture. To do what? To execute vengeance upon the heathen and punishments upon the people. And God caused there to be an earthquake, Acts 16, and split that jail in many pieces. And they walked out unshackled. How about Acts chapter 12? When Peter was taken, after they murdered the apostle James, the first martyr of the apostles, I believe. My memory serves me right there. Then they took Peter and they were going to murder Peter. But the saints gathered in number and prayed and sought the Lord. And an angel of the Lord went and got Peter out of prison and walked him to where the saints were crying out to God and presented him in their midst. God is so good. No matter what you see going on around you, never forget that God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Psalm chapter 46, verse 1. Jesus said when he sent us off to teach his word at the end of Matthew 20, is where it's recorded. He says, Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. It's such a great blessing and heritage of the body of Christ given to us by God that we have such great choruses we can sing in times of need. And we should be singing those things all the time. And it doesn't matter where we are when we begin to sing those great songs of praise to our God. We're going to go upward spiritually every time we do. God's going to take you upward when you sing his praise. To execute vengeance, we sing, we praise, we worship, we obey the Lord, no matter what affliction and threat faces us. And he executes, and it's for the purpose of the divine execution of vengeance upon the heathen and punishments upon the people. Don't you know that God told us that he will repay the wicked? He says, vengeance is mine, I will repay. What is that? Romans chapter 12. Vengeance is mine. He owns it. I will repay. So this isn't a posture of we're going to bring down the house on them. Where do you think we got that? Samson, he brought down the house in his dying breath. He finished strong, killed a lot of the enemy. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. Notice he didn't say I may repay. I may choose to. No, he said he will repay. But don't avenge yourselves. Don't try to do this in the flesh. Be still and know that he is God and keep the high praises of God in your mouth. And the prayers of the saints must be going upward and stand back and stand still, as the scripture says, and see the salvation of the Lord. I didn't say it wasn't necessary for people to do physical things. Of course it is, but that's not where it starts. And for most people that are call themselves patriots and conservatives who have a heart to see vengeance come on the wicked, there's nothing wrong with that. But the believers in the midst realize that more important than anything is not their word working in the matter and trying to do things, but in seeking God, as is the case throughout history, in each and every one of the instances, which were only a few, a sampling that we see throughout the history of scripture, it all began and was launched in and maintained its place in the spirit with the Lord in prayer, praying in the name of Jesus Christ and letting God judge you and convict you and bring your own life into order because judgment must begin at the house of God. God, if my people, not the world, not the heathen, my people, which are called by my name, are you born again? Beloved, you can be today if you're not. Go to the Peace with God page on Safeguard Your Soul if you want to come to Jesus, okay? Or get with a Christian and tell them you're ready to get saved. Say, I'm I'm a sinner. I need God's forgiveness. We're seeing that happen. They're calling and it's happening in person. Incredible. People are being shaken to the core of their being. And all of that word which never comes back void.
void of the sharp two-edged sword of the Word of God that divides the soul and spirit asunder, of that Word of God that breaks the rock of unbelief in the hearts of men in pieces and shatters it. The Word and the conviction with the Word going in is causing people to bow down. In fact, just a few days ago, a family member said, basically said, I got to get right with God. And he gathered us around him. He said he needed prayer. And we said, we're going to pray for you, but you're also going to pray and confess Christ afresh. You're going to call on the name of the Lord right now, if never before, and surrender your life to the one who gave it to you and the one who came and died on the cross to reconcile you with God. You're coming home. And he did. God, through the praises of his people. Remember the Bible says the Lord inhabits the praises of Israel, that is his people, to execute vengeance upon the heathen and punishments upon the people. That's what we're seeing. Think about that in light of vengeance coming upon the heathen, verse 7 in Psalm 149, and punishments upon the people. Let justice come upon the wicked, the unrepentant wicked. God knows who they are. To bind, verse 8, we only have two more verses left here in Psalm 149. To bind. What happens when God's people let his high praise be in their mouth and the word of God, the two-edged sword? The execution of vengeance from God comes upon the heathen. Punishments come upon the people. Set your affection on things above. Not on things on the earth, for ye are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ who is our life shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Colossians chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. And you're going to see the salvation of your God happening right before your eyes. We're already seeing it. Verse 8, to bind, what else happens? To bind their kings with chains. To bind their kings, many leaders of nations included, have and are going to go down. And their nobles are going to be bound with what? Fetters of iron. They're going to jail. And if they don't repent, they're going to the incarceration of eternal damnation in hell, where the fire shall never be quenched, and where their worm dieth not. Why? Because they refuse to cut off the hand and pluck out the eye while on earth of any sin that defiled them in the eyes of a holy God, a just judge of every soul that he owns by reason of creation. Ezekiel 18.4. We shall all stand and give account to God, beloved. It is appointed unto men once to die, and after this, what happens? The judgment. Are you ready to meet the Lord? Hebrews 9.27. Revelation 20.15. The books are going to be open, and whosoever his name was not found written in the book of life shall be cast into the lake of fire. Some believe those books that are going to be open, Revelation 20, 11 through 15, are the books of the Bible. I believe that. I believe it's both. The books of their life. We can't hide anything from God. And if you try to do that, you're going to fail. You're going to hell. There's two kind of people on the earth, the honest and the dishonest, the deceitful and those that are sincere with integrity and fear God. Proverbs 28:13. He that covereth or tries to hide his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesses and forsakes them shall have mercy. If you want to have the mercy of God, which every one of us is absolutely, utterly in need of, you must get honest and have a come to Jesus meeting with God and do business with him with true repentance, falling on your face before a holy God and admitting what he already knows, that you are a vile, wicked sinner who has lied, you've fornicated, you have adulterated, you've committed spiritual adultery, you have committed idolatry, you've had other gods before him, you have not honored your parents, you've used the holy name of the Lord your God in vain. You are utterly guilty and without hope, you're in big trouble unless you repent and receive the only salvation for your sins, and that is none other than the Son of the living God, Jesus Christ. The scripture says that today is the day of salvation. Cut off the hand, pluck out the eye that causes you to offend against a holy God and bring it all to him on your knees at the foot of the cross and cry out to a living Savior who's there calling you to himself, saying, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And the way he's going to do that is wash away all your sins and all the associated guilt and shame. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest on 
unto your souls, but no one has rest. No one has peace. There is no peace, saith my God, to the wicked. Isaiah tells us, 57, 21, and 9, 6, and 7, there's no peace to those who don't obey and come into relationship by faith in the print with the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ. Isaiah 9, verse 6 and 7. So as God's people put him first, 2 Chronicles 7, 14, God is busy. That's the main thing right there, saints. The power generator of all that, the actual works that we do, the thing that really undergirds that is our worship of the Lord. That's what this is all about. You launching you into a life of prayer, a life of prayer, not just a prayer life, but a life of prayer, a life of devouring and living out and praising God, the word of God. That's what the two-edged sword is here as it's depicted throughout the word of God. Hebrews 4.12, book of Revelation, chapter 19, etc. And what happens is when God's people are praising him in this late hour, many around us are worshiping God like never before, very concerned and seeking his face. And God is executing vengeance. God is, is known by the judgment which he executes. That's a quote. Psalm 916, I believe it is. So God is executing vengeance upon the heathen and punishments upon the people. He's binding kings, that is those in authority with chains. They're nobles, that's leaders. I guess this depicts leaders at all levels with fetters of iron. And there is evidence of vengeance vengeance coming upon the heathen, punishments upon the people, leaders being put in chains and fetters of iron. Okay, the last verse, verse 9, Psalm 149, to execute, God is executing upon them the judgment written, that is written in the word of God. The wages of sin is death. Ultimately, the judgment of the judge of the earth is going to be executed upon everyone whose name is not written in the Lamb's book of life because they didn't repent and receive Jesus. They rejected him while on earth. Therefore, they're going to be irrevocably and consciously incarcerated in the prison fire and domain of hell. This honor have all his saints. Praise ye the Lord. We have the honor of worshiping God. And as we do, he's going to bring judgment upon the wicked. Psalm 9, 16 and 17. The Lord is known. How is he known? By the judgment which he executed. Did you know that? He said, we just read it. In Romans chapter 12, did we not just read that vengeance is mine? I will repay, saith the Lord. He gave a definitive statement and declaration and promise that God repays the wicked. The Lord is known by the judgment which he executeth. The wicked is snared in the work of his own hands. The wicked shall be turned into hell and all the nations that forget God. Notice a little bit before what we just read in Psalm 9, verse 13. Have mercy upon me, O Lord. Consider my trouble, which I suffer of them that hate me, the wicked, as we all suffer. For those who want to completely make us slaves to themselves and their systems and mandates and technology. We see things being legislated every day, more and more dark, wicked, diabolical. That thou that liftest me up from the gates of death, he's calling upon the Lord, that I may show forth all thy praise. There it is again, praise in the gate. Sing a new song to the Lord today, beloved. And watch what God does. All thy praise in the gates of the daughter of Zion. I will rejoice in thy salvation. The heathen, watch this, here's the same pattern we see in scripture that we just saw in Psalm 149. We see it right here in Psalm 9. The heathen are sunk down in the pit that they made. In the net which they hid is their own foot taken. Notice, just like in the days of Haman's gallows that he designed and created to hang, to murder the righteous, he himself and his family were murdered in those very gallows. They were thrown into the pit, if you will, that they dug for the righteous. And notice how praise just precedes that in the very verse before that. Isn't that interesting? to behold in scripture. And then the next verse is what we just read. The Lord is known by the judgment which he executeth. The wicked is snared in the work of his own hands. The wicked dig their own pit. We see that throughout scripture. Notice in chapter seven, Psalms chapter seven, talking about the wicked who travail in their iniquity and could they conceive mischief and they bring forth falsehoods, which they legislate 
and false accusations. And verse 15, Psalm 7, He made a pit and digged it and has fallen into the ditch which he made. Why? Because God never sleeps nor slumbers, Psalm 121. Then it says, His mischief shall return upon his own head, and his violent dealing shall come down upon his own pate or his head. I will praise the Lord according to his righteousness and will sing praise to the name of the Lord Most High. When the people of God seek the Lord in repentance and turning from their wicked ways and humbling themselves before him in prayer, these dangerous, these deadly calamities can be avoided, can be prevented. That's how it happened in the days of Haman. He didn't get to carry out his wickedness because Mordecai and Esther and the people of God cried out to the Lord. You know, there is no weapon formed against thee that shall prosper. Every tongue that shall rise against thee in judgment and condemnation thou shalt condemn, right? Isaiah fifty four seventeen. Now, keep in mind that one of the ways God has brought judgment on the wicked is through civil governments throughout the centuries. That isn't always the case. And Romans 13 comes to mind. Also, 1 Peter 2, 13 and 14 says, Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme or unto governors as unto them that are sent by him, by God, for what? For the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. So civil government, when operated correctly, is there's two P's involved in its uh, objectives that God's ordained for it. The punishment of evildoers, punishment and praise, the praise of them that do well. In other words, the good citizens. It is my opinion that there's no need for believers to obey a government that is actually attacking the well-doers, the good people, and shielding the wicked. So they're doing just the opposite of what God has ordained them to do. And of course, that sounds like Isaiah 5.20, which says, Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil. In other words, they pervert justice, that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Okay, and bouncing back to 1 Peter 2, verses 13 and 14, concerning the divine role of civil government in our fallen world, it says that civil government is there for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. Now, there's a lot of people that think they have to obey the government no matter what. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. You're not reading the whole context of Scripture. Government is to praise them that do well, not to inflict or poison their blood bloodstream with a, a bioweapon vaccine that they're trying to mandate. They are not to muzzle the breath of life in us. They are not to plot against us and make legislation against us. Why would you agree with that? That's not their duty. They are rogue. They're outside of the will of God. First Peter 2, verse 13 and 14. Let's finish with Psalm 75. Lift not up your horn on high. Don't lift yourself up. Speak not with a stiff neck. Repent, humble yourself, get rid of the arrogance and pride, for promotion cometh neither from the east nor the west nor from the south, but God is the judge. Notice the judge. He put it down one and setteth up another. Remember early we read Proverbs 29 two: when the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice, but when the wicked beareth rule, the people mourn. Verse eight, for in the hand of the Lord, there is a cup and the wine is red. It is full of mixture and he poureth out of the same, but the dregs thereof, all the wicked of the earth, shall wring them out and drink them. But I will declare forever, I will sing praises, there it is again, in light of God setting ones up and taking down others. I will sing praises to the God of Jacob. All the horns of the wicked also will I cut off. There's God declaring his judgment upon the wicked once again. But the horns of the righteous shall be exalted. He also repeatedly in his word declares that he is going to exalt the righteous. And again, as we close, when God exalts the righteous in the mansions in the new Jerusalem, John 14, 1 through 6, of which he is the only way to, 
There are going to be mansions. We're going to rest and rejoice and praise in each of us in the beds that he created for us. We're not making our bed in hell because God is going to ultimately, final salvation, bring his people into his home. He has their name written there on their pillow, I would imagine could be the case. Each of them has their own beds and mansions waiting. Jesus said, my father has gone to make mansions for you, John 14, right? And he's going to wipe away all tears from their eyes. There shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain for the former things are passed away. This is all going to be behind us soon. We're going to have futuristic retrospect, if you will, as we look back upon the earth and be so glad that we simply cried out to the Lord for his grace and his spirit to empower us no matter what we face. Hallelujah. You're not enduring to the end by yourself. You have to make that resolve that you're going to obey God. You're going to worship him. You're going to praise Jesus to the end no matter what. Loving not your own life unto the death. Revelation 12, 11. But it's him empowering you as you do it. Just as he's empowering justice to come upon the wicked as you worship and praise him on his terms. The terms of the full counsel of God. Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, the Father, that is. Believe also in me, John 14, 1, and verse 2, in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. I want you to meditate on that. Jesus is preparing a place for you. He is the creator and the designer and the builder of all that exists. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. There's a promise repeated throughout scripture. He's coming back soon and receive you unto myself. But that where I am there, ye may be also. He's coming to take his bride, his people home. And whither I go, ye know. And the way ye know. And then Thomas said, how can we know the way? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Amen. Father, we, we know in the name of Jesus that you said that you're going to have your gospel preached to the ends of the earth. And we know that's us, Lord, the few labors that you take and you multiply the efforts of so mightily. We thank you, Lord, that the gospel of your kingdom is being preached in all the world for a witness of your goodness and your redemption unto all nations, all people. And then as the end is going to come, we pray that you'd bring justice to those in authority in the world who will not repent and do what's right and removal. Bring the light on their darkness, uncover it for all to see and bring justice, Lord. Let them be bound in fetters and chains and justly dealt with as you see fit for rebels to be dealt with in the name of Jesus. Father, use us to lead others to you. Make us consummate soul winners in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you you glad we had these moments together and feel free to hit share to share this encouraging message with others as we look for the soon return of the son of god from heaven in jesus name amen well brothers and sisters it's been a blessing to spend these moments with you in the word of god and remember there's hundreds of more christ-centered scripture rich edifying podcasts on safeguardyoursoul.com forward slash audios there's also a store page with several many books on there for your edification in christ they're all scripture rich and christ-centered also tens of thousands of saints and sinners are being reached every month and you're your prayers are coveted for the fruitfulness and supply of this outreach. God be praised, by the way, for those who are supporting. And feel free to visit our donate page on the site. And you can use your debit card, PayPal, or Patreon. And you can become a monthly sustaining member if you choose to do so. And a gift of any amount is so appreciated. Part of this outreach is to equip and supply other ministering disciples across our great country and all over the world. And may God be praised that there's fruitfulness happening among his people and through his beloved saints as we know that the return of our Lord Jesus Christ draws nigh. And we say together in the words of Revelation 22, even so, come Lord Jesus. Amen.